And I went to bed that, that same night that I saw my dad like that. The next day I went about my day and I got a phone, I, I received a phone call around noon and it's the hospice on the caller ID. And I knew that something was wrong as soon as I saw mm-hmm. that. So, you know, my hands started to turn sweaty and my heart started to sink in my chest and I pick up the phone and, and my ner- my father's nurse let me know that my dad stopped breathing that morning and he ended up passing away. And, you know, it, it raised a lot of questions for me. It was a whirlwind of emotions because a part of me was thankful. Uh, you know, I was thanking God for relieving his pain and suffering. He's no longer in pain. He's his soul is now resting in peace and I no longer have to see him like that. But that was a small part. The majority of me was angry, was uh, confused because we, we listened to his doctors. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. What is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We have with us someone very, very special. His name is Ben Azadi. He is becoming an extremely well-known name in the space, and we are fortunate enough to be able to say that he is a graduate of FDN and still uh, you know, stays relatively active in our community. He always comes over to us at the conferences, and we always try to sit in his presentations and make sure that, you know, People are there to support. Not that he needs us by any means because he'll pack out the damn room with a few hundred people. But, you know, we're there. We're clapping and stuff and we're helping whatever we can. Ben is an individual who I relate to a lot in one particular sense. I guess two. One is that the mental health side for us of our health issues was very similar. But the other side is that personal development is something that both of us directly contribute to being the main thing that got us out of our uh, our darkness, if you will. Personal development was the main thing that got us out of this. I just did a whole podcast recently where I titled it Get Serious About Your Life and Biz, and it was all about the personal development side, so I hope you guys enjoyed that one. This is a little different. It's not quite as serious. It's not quite as in your face. It's very conversational, and of course, you get to hear a different perspective from Ben, but I also wanted to do this because it validates what I was saying. It's not just me saying this, and I listed a bunch of examples of other people who you might have trusted those examples, but you don't get to hear from those people. This is yet another person out there crushing it in the health space, really making a name for himself, becoming a leader, man. People follow this guy. People love this guy. And he contributes this to daily personal development. That's what got him going. That's what also led to his health getting better. And that's what our conversation is really focused around today. Despite him being known for what he has done with his major brand, Keto Camp, it's not really about just that for him. It's about this personal development side too. And that's just who he is as a person. With that said, I think the 
episode will be very self-explanatory in terms of why we are bringing this up on a health podcast. I think you guys will just totally get that as we get a little farther into it. Before we dive in fully, I wanted to let you guys know about our summer open house. If you haven't heard about this yet, it is a one month long event for the entirety of June. So if you're listening to this, it is already June of 2023. It is not too late to join us because there's over 18 live events scheduled. I have the privilege of being able to kind of MC or host for all of them. And you guys get to listen to conversations with people who have uh, done very impressive things with their health, uh, health and business. So it's not just health stuff. In fact, it's more business stuff than anything. But you're going to leave with an understanding that you can do this work. And also you're going to get some insights and tips as to how this would actually work for someone like you even if you've never had experience with this stuff. And uh, we're not finalized on who the keynote's going to be yet for finishing this up. But man, if it's who we think it's going to be, she is uh, she's going to blow your guys' minds with what she has done in her business in such a short period of time. It is such a good way to build belief in what you can do with this and how many people you can help if you're willing to dedicate yourself to this. Now, the best part is the entire month is free. We do have a VIP version. If you'd like to pay a small sum, you can get involved with that and you'll get added to the private Facebook group where you can du- directly access us, talk to us one-on-one, ask questions, anything that you want to do can be done in that group. Maybe not anything, right? We want to keep it PG. But most things you can do in that group, that will be for the VIP. But for everyone else, you can go to all of the live events totally for free. All you have to do is go to fdntraining.com slash summer. That's fdntraining.com slash summer to see the lineup. Again, if you're listening to this, you might have... Well, actually, if it's the first day it came out, you're just in time. If it's a few days after, we're still just getting started. So go to fdntraining.com slash summer to see the list of events and topics. Without further ado, let's get to this amazing interview with the one and only Ben Azadi. All right. Hello there, Ben, and welcome back to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you, man? Evan, I am excited to chat with you, man. I enjoy our conversations always. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fun. Um, I, We are lucky enough to interact at all these conferences. <laughs> you know what I mean? It seems like uh, a lot of people end up coming to these same big conferences. So it's fun. You get to meet people and actually develop cool little acquaintanceships and uh, relationships at these things. Now, one thing for those that are listening now at episode, I actually, I shouldn't say it because I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be in the 240s. Uh, you know, oh, Ben wow. came on all the way back at episode 16, I think. And, you know, Reed got him connected with me and he was nice enough to come on. And then I realized, okay, like this guy has a huge podcast. He, he was more a charity event that he came on and did our podcast for us, but you'll never know. He's just a nice guy. Um, so I wanted to bring Ben back on because thankfully now we have a lot more exposure with the podcast and people get to meet really interesting, cool health folks. So I, I think what's worth pursuing today is doing a brief of your health story first. And if you guys want to hear the full entire thing, I mean, you can go back to episode 16. I'll put it in the show notes, but I think we'll cover most of the main stuff today. And then uh, we got some cool topics that Ben and I really relate on that aren't necessarily obviously related to health, but when you think about it, they're essential uh, for getting your health under control. So um, Ben, let's just break it down the same way we would have last time, actually. When did your first health symptoms start and what did they look like? Yeah, when I was really young, um, you know, I don't know, probably five or six years old. I was always a kid that was overweight growing up, and and rightfully so. You know, my mom worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken, two of them, when I was a kid, and my parents were divorced, and my mom would bring me home Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, she worked two jobs, actually three jobs. One of them was also a Walgreens, so she was working all the time. 
<laughs> and she did the best she can with her resources. So she brought me Kentucky Fried Chicken. I would eat that pretty much most nights. And I hung out with the wrong crowd. I hung out with people who are having bad lifestyle behaviors. As a teenager, they were playing video games, doing drugs, selling drugs, and you become your environment. I became mine, and I was very much unhealthy, and I fell into the same bad behaviors. And I had a lot of addictions growing up. You know, We have a lot of in, uh, in common with our health challenges and struggles, mm -hmm. Evan. And I, I lacked self-confidence. I lacked this self-esteem and I was really one of those kids that was bullied and, and picked on growing up. I was ashamed to take off my T-shirt. I would wear T-shirts to the beach and to inside of swimming pools just because I was a, kind of ashamed of my body. And this transferred to my adulthood when I was 23, 24 years old back in 2008. I was, mm -hmm. I was 250 pounds and I was lost in life. I was uh, depressed. I was suicidal. I was working at a nine to five job that was very uninspiring. Never studied health and nutrition at all. I was I was just obsessed with like video games and I had addictions to sugar and food addiction and really bad uh, friends in my life that were bad influences and mm -hmm. this was a pivotal moment for me because I was rock bottom and you know right. when we look back at rock bottom at least when I do I look at that rock bottom space and I'm thankful for it. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, thank God that happened for me." But when mm -hmm. it was happening at that time, I thought it was happening to me. And I didn't know how to get out of that. And I thought the easy solution was, okay, just end your life. You're crying every day. You're hurting every day. You're in pain. You have no goals. You're unhealthy. You're unhappy. You're broke. You're broken. Just end your life. Like that was the yeah. easiest thing for me to do to end the suffering. And every time I explored that, because I did several times, I kept think thinking about my mom and it stopped me time and time again. And then th this is the point where I started to read books. A friend of mine handed me a book. And, you know, one book led to two books, two books, two books led to 10 books. And mm -hmm. I fell in love with authors like Dr. Wayne Dyer and Bob Proctor and Tony Robbins and incredible authors out there. And the books did so much for me. But the number one thing the books did for me was help me take ownership and responsibility, which is the starting point to great change is the second you take responsibility. And mm -hmm. I think most people don't even understand that word responsibility. At least I didn't for most of my life. To me, that means your ability to respond to life is your responsibility. <laughs> and that sounds fairly obvious, but I don't think most people get that. And when we look at how we're responding to life, how we're responding to our circumstances, it's our ability to respond to, to that that's going to determine our health, our vitality, our longevity, our, our happiness. And for me, I, I scored poorly up until that point because I was blaming everyone. I, I was blaming my circumstances. I was blaming my genetics. I was blaming my enabling family members. But when you take responsibility, you own up to that. And all that goes out the window and you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, okay, this is something that I need to change. It's my responsibility. It, I am at fault. It's not anything outside of me. Right. And the books helped me get that. So I went through this inc incredible transformation. I lost uh, 80 pounds in nine months. I went from 34% body fat to 6% body fat. And you know, I finally achieved the physical six-pack. Not that that is synonymous with good health, but for me, it was a huge score, a huge victory, mm -hmm. because I was always that fat kid growing up. So I was like, yeah, I had six-pack abs. But I soon realized more important than a physical six-pack was the mental six-pack that I started to develop. And I started to connect the pieces that your food directly impacts your mood and what it, nutrition did to uh, impact my mindset and vice versa, which we'll get into today. So that was 14 years ago, 14, 15 years ago. And of course, I've been a student ever since. Like you, you're always learning, Evan. And I came across FDN in uh, 2016, maybe 2017. 
I became certified as an, as an FDN practitioner. And that was like, that was probably one of the most pivotal moments in my health entrepreneur career because yeah, it's cool to have a certification. I don't think that's why somebody should get certified because honestly, I don't think one person has asked me what my certification is. Exactly. Dude. No one knows. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, what is your exact quality, your certification to work with you? I don't think one person has ever asked me that. But what's important about getting certified with FDN, I believe, or the right certification program is you're learning root cause. You're learning upstream. You're learning how to run labs. And it gave me the confidence to start scaling things and start uh, getting myself out there more. And, you know, I love FDN. Reed Davis is near and dear to my heart. And it was Sean Croxton that introduced me to Reed Davis because I used to listen to Sean Croxton's old podcast called Underground Wellness, Mm -hmm. one of the first health podcasts out there before Dave Asprey, before Ben Greenfield. He was one of the originals. And I remember Reed was the first guest. Reed was the last guest. And that's what actually got me familiar with FDN. And I made that decision to join them. And, you know, the rest has been history since then. Yeah, it's amazing still to this day how many people I've had on that Sean Croxton's podcast. Like that guy retired from the health podcast before I even went through FDN. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's just like he was so, and still really is with what he's doing, just so ahead. It's like he's five steps ahead of everything, business wise, mindset wise. It's really, it's really amazing to watch. And so, um, I don't. If you don't want to dive into it today, that's fine. But I also remember. It's actually the main thing that sticks about sticks out in our entire 50-minute podcast last time. I know that there was a kind of profound moment um, with the loss of a family member that seemed to really shift things for you in terms of like taking all this stuff seriously and getting the health under control. Um, and if we don't want to go there today, I can edit this out. But if we do, yeah, uh, I feel like no. it's always an important part of your story, if that's okay. No, for sure. It is a, a very important part. So you're, you're referring to my, my dad. My dad <laughs> had... Uh, well, my, my parents immigrated to the United States from Iran in the 70s, and I was born in Miami in 1984. So, you know, I'm always grateful for the fact that they made that decision to come here, and I have the freedom to to live the life that I want to live. And my my dad had type 2 diabetes, which, you know, we know it's so common, unfortunately. I estimate 60% plus of American adults are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. And my dad was one of them, and he would drink his sweet and iced teas and eat his white rice and you know, eat the donuts and, you know, standard American diet. So I didn't understand type 2 diabetes, though, as a kid. I just remember my dad taking his insulin, his medication, getting, you know, bigger, getting fatter and, you know, losing his vision and getting nerve pain. And it progressed to uh, a point where in 2013, he called me because he was having really bad diabetic neuropathy. My dad couldn't even walk to the restroom. So he called me and I picked him up, took him to the hospital, to the emergency room with my mom. And my dad knew that because the conversation with his doctors um, was really recent, where if the diabetes was going to get worse, amputation was in his near future, which is very common. As you know, Evan, if the neuropathy gets really bad, an infection could occur in the foot, could spread to the rest of the body and kill you. So in order to prevent that infection from spreading, they'll cut off the limbs. It's so common. Thousands, tens of thousands of these amputations happen every single year, primarily because of type 2 diabetics. So my dad was in the hospital in the emergency room and he had the stress of thinking, oh my gosh, like, am I going to get my feet amputated? And the stress caused uh, a massive stroke. My dad suffered a massive stroke in the hospital, which left him paralyzed from the entire right side of his body. And he lost the ability to speak. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for my, my dad's life. You know, they transferred him to hospice care and I visited him every single week. And every week 
he looked worse and worse and worse. And I remember nine months into it, walking into the room and he was just in the worst shape I had seen him in. He was throwing up on himself and convulsing. And, you know, of course I was consoling him and telling him how much I loved him. And I was, you know, giving him a kiss in the forehead. And I remember leaving that night and going home and praying. Uh, and, and I would say the same prayer that I said every night, uh, which was God, please. end my father suffering, you know, he suffered enough. And I said that prayer every night, but that night, this particular night that I said it, there was a different energy or a different feeling to that prayer. I felt like I was actually being heard. And I went to bed that, that same night that I saw my dad like that. The next day I went about my day and I got a phone, I, I received a phone call around noon and it's the hospice on the caller ID. And I knew that something was wrong as soon as I saw that. So, you know, my hands started to turn sweaty and my heart started to sink in my chest and I pick up the phone and, and my nurse, my father's nurse let me know that my dad stopped breathing that morning and he ended up passing away. And, you know, it, it raised a lot of questions for me. It was a whirlwind of emotions because a part of me was thankful. Uh, you know, I was thanking God for relieving his pain and suffering. He's no longer in pain. He's his soul is now resting in peace and I no longer have to see him like that. But that was a small part. The majority of me was angry, was uh, confused because we, we listened to his doctors like we and funny, Evan, because and it's I, I use the word funny, but it's actually sad because um, a few months ago I was at public supermarket and this is relevant to the same story. I was at public supermarket, which is a supermarket in Florida with uh, Dr. Pompa, which is who's my mentor as well. And I, re I realized that it was the same Publix that we were at, the same exact one that I would take my father to every Tuesday to buy the list of groceries that his doctor had recommended, which was Gatorade Zero, um, Nature Valley bars, Fiber One bars, and all these toxic uh, crystal light powder drinks. And, you know, back then I didn't know any better. It's like, yeah, the doctors know I got to listen to them. That's what we're telling my dad to consume. And I, I did the best to the ability of my awareness, but it's obvious now, like they were telling my dad to eat toxic foods that were actually making his diabetes worse. And they never had the conversation that let's try to reverse this. Let's work on reversing this. It was always about managing it. It was always about, we needed to change his medication. So of course that really turned a hobby to a passion, uh, meaning health. And I wanted to find out like, why did this happen to my dad? Why, it's, why is it happening to the world? And of course, now what we have discovered and what we have learned in FDN and what I teach is also what would have saved my dad's life, right? But I also get that, you know, sometimes you got to go through that. Sometimes you got to go through that, that mountain, if you will, so you could show others that this mountain can be moved. So, you know, that's a big part of my why uh, to honor my dad. And it's, it's really cool because now, uh, I've helped dozens of dozens of my Keto Camp Academy students come into the program with type, type 2 diabetes and get themselves off and get themselves reversing it, which which can be easily done, by the way. You know, type 2 diabetes can be easily reversed no matter what, you know, your doctor or the American Di Diabetes Association is telling you. I, I love it, man. And um, I, I thank you for sharing that story. It's not, I didn't want to bring it up for to relive some traumatic thing, but th the point is, we're about to jump into a different type of topic, right? With the personal development side. And we know that, but the audience doesn't. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that I'm getting at is when you hear the story at first, so, okay, bullied as a kid, suicidal, um, parents are first generation immigrants, parents are divorced, one loses their life prematurely, and you're still young now. So it was definitely young back then. And yet when you look at you or talk to you, you would never know any of this stuff because you haven't allowed yourself to become a victim to these things, right? You've taken the responsibility that you've talked about, personal responsibility. And 
made a life already better than most people will ever experience, even though they could, even though they could. And who knows what another 5, 10, 15 years will look like for Benazadi, right? And so it kind of sets the stage perfectly for people because, Ben, I, you actually would like this episode. I did an episode about a week ago where it, was, it wasn't about health. It was, it's literally called like Everant about getting serious about your life and, and business because we have these wonderful practitioners that come through the program. They got 10 different certifications and then they add on FDN <laughs> and they barely ever had one client. You know what I mean? They have these limiting beliefs. They have limiting beliefs around the business or the sales, or I can't charge that amount for this. And I realized that the solution to a lot of this is the personal development side. Um, and I think it'll make sense towards the end why this all connects if it doesn't already um, as we go along here. But I think this is what I want to transition to. First thing that you already mentioned is personal responsibility. Now, when we give examples of personal responsibility or the things that you listed off, people sometimes get in their heads. They say, wait, wait, that's not my fault. Ben didn't say fault. So can I ask you to get this started? What is the difference between something being someone's fault and someone's being uh, something being someone's responsibility? Yeah, good, good, uh, good question to distinguish that. You know, a lot of things aren't our fault, but everything's our responsibility. Um, <laughs> that is the truth, unfortunately, or fortunately, the way, you th whatever way you look at it. Um, so for example, my dad chose to consume those foods and my dad um, suffered. We all suffered. We saw him suffer because when somebody gets sick, it's not just the person who's sick, who suffers, it's everybody who knows them who suffers. So is it my fault that my dad consumed that? I don't think so. Is it my responsibility? Yeah, I, I believe it. It is. I, you know, I could have taught him the things that I know now, and I would have made a difference. But am I stuck in that mindset of like, oh my gosh, I failed my dad. I'm such a, you know, a no. I, it was short lived. Now I use that responsibility for the people that come into my lives that I can serve and I can help. So there's a difference between reacting to something. And responding. And I think that's the difference there with somebody who takes responsibility. Somebody who's taking full ownership and responsibility takes a second to become aware of what's happening, to pause, and they choose to respond versus the person who's a victim mindset that it's ha everything's happening to them. They just react, react, react. So that's the difference right there. When life hands you a stimulus, it's not the, the stimulus that's good or bad. It's how you perceive it. And it's a choice, you know, faith and fear both demand for you to believe in something you cannot see, you choose. Like, do you want to choose the fear? Do you want to live in that mindset or do you want to choose the faith? You both, you can't see either one, but you get to choose what you, where you put your energy into and a universal law states, whatever you put your energy into expand. So, you know, yeah. that's your decision and your choice, but we live in a society that has taught us to be the victim and it's getting worse by year. And um, Neville Goddard said, we are only limited by weakness of attention and poverty of imagination. So weakness, weakness of attention is all of the distractions out there on social media, mainstream news, billboards, TV, friends. And then um, a poverty of imagination is our thoughts that we have every single day. So if we could master those two things, get focused and change our thoughts, we're going to master our lives. If, because you talked about in the beginning about you don't know if people really understand the personal responsibility thing. I hope I do. Um, but I do agree that most people don't even think about it this way. They can't even separate the difference between fault and responsibility. If you truly get this today, and what we'll continue to talk about for the next 30 minutes, 
you can do just about everything you want. Now, I'm not being cheesy motivational guy. If you're 40 years old, you never picked up a basketball in your life, and now all of a sudden you're a personal responsibility person, and you think you're going to get into the NBA, I wish you the best. I won't stop on or stomp on your dreams. I'm not going to put my money on you, though. You know, that's probably not going to work out. But there, there's some somewhere between that extreme and then not being able to do anything in basketball, there, there's a middle ground, right? You could be one of the best announcers ever, even if you started at 40 years old and you could be hanging out with some of the big dogs in five to 10 years. That that could happen, right? And so one of the things that I was sharing with people on the podcast I just did recently, Ben, was the books. Because personal development is a lot of things. Personal responsibility is a lot of things. But the books, there's something to that. Because you actually just said how one of the first concepts that you got was the responsibility side. That was the same thing for me. I read The the Compound Effect first by yeah. Darren Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm 18 years old. I have, I'm on probation still. I was just in juvie six months ago. I spent my 18th birthday on house arrest, drugs, all this stuff's terrible. And this guy that I trust, still one of my best friends to this day, his name's Ben actually, uh, gave me the book, The Compound Effect. And so I read this and I can't tell you everything that I read in it. But one of the things had to do with like choices and there's habits. It's like personal development 101. So if you haven't read it, definitely just read it. It's a good reminder. I still review it every now and then. But one of the aspects was personal responsibility and the difference between fault and that. And I said, oh, okay, maybe it's not my fault that I had mental health issues my entire life. I didn't ask for that, right? I didn't ask for the genetics that would allow that even, you know, given what I'm doing in my environment, I didn't ask for that. But if I don't stop and say, Ev, what can I do in this situation? I don't mean to be dramatic, but it literally would have only been a matter of time before I'm either in the hospital or I'm going to jail Mm -hmm. because I would have continued on that same path and that victim mentality. But what happens with the personal responsibility side and reading these books and consuming this type of content and thinking this way is it's empowering. And there's a whole societal narrative now that wants to make everyone a victim. Everything is someone else's fault and you can't do anything. The reason that's happening is because it's disempowering. The second that you take personal responsibility for things that aren't your fault, bam, you become powerful beyond measure. So yeah, no, not my fault that I had mental health issues. I might even be able to make a case. It's not my fault that I got kicked out of school. And that's not to justify it, but I might be able to make that case. But if I don't say what role did I play in this and what role can I play in stopping it in the future, now you're really uh, putting yourself at risk for some bad things happening. And when you do analyze it in that way, you see, okay, well, yeah, it wasn't my fault that I had the mental health issues, but I probably don't need to be smoking weed every single day Mm -hmm. on top of it. I think I have a choice in that one. You know what I mean? Probably don't need to be abusing benzodiazepines. I think I have a choice in that one, right? And so it starts with the major stuff. And then you realize, oh, it's the way I interact with my parents. It's the way I interact with my friends. It's the stuff I'm consuming or not consuming on a daily basis, right? So when you were first getting introduced to this personal responsibility thing, how did it affect the other areas of your life and not just health? Well, you know, I mean, you nailed it with what you just shared. I love, I love that. Um, that's so true. Uh, well, everything you just said is is one hundred percent true, and it's not easy to digest. It's a tough pill to swallow for some people. And if you want to live an easy life, you got to do the hard things. If you want to live a hard life, you do the easy things. That's just the way it goes. Um, so, for me, you know, when I started to study personal development and take responsibility, I started to kind of connect the dots a little bit for my my journey. Because although t- to your point, you know, a lot of things were not my fault. Uh, my mom brought me Kentucky Fried Chicken, and as a kid, I would eat it like that's what I did to sustain life, essentially. But you know, eventually, it's my responsibility for what it did to my body and what it did to my health. When I was a kid, I had eight silver fillings put in my mouth before I even knew what the heck that was. 
And then as an adult, I discovered this is not good for you. It was my responsibility to get it out safely and, and detox the mercury. So I started to understand this reading these books and making these small little tweaks. That's essentially what the compound effect is all about. Small tweaks lead to giant peaks. And it's funny that that was the first book you read because one of the first, well, the first book I read wasn't the compound effect, but it was a similar, similar book called the slight edge by uh, mm-hmm. Je- Jeff Olson, which is the same premise. You know, the small little behaviors you have every day compound over time to get you your results, just a different book, but same overall premise. And then Darren Hardy's came out later, which is also a great book, but it started with my environment because what I believe is this, your environment determines the thoughts that you think the thoughts that you think determines the actions you take and the actions you take determine your results in life. So we could talk all about changing your thoughts. And I'm really a believer of that. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, change your thoughts, change your life a hundred percent, but it's going to be very difficult to change those thoughts and reprogram your subconscious mind unless you change your environment. Cause if you have a whole bunch of, you know, this, uh, Evan, if you have a whole bunch of people who are still saying, Oh, just try, you know, this drug or let's go party here. Or, let's do that. Like you could say, you could have all the willpower in the world, but it isn't until you disconnect from that environment or they change their ways that you're going to be able to change your thoughts and change your actions and change your life. So it's very hard to do because these are people that we you know, probably love and grew up with, we're familiar with them. And when you change, you become a threat to people in your life who do not change. And they're going to say things to you either in front of you or not in front of you. And it's not because they essentially want harm to you, but it's easier for you to go back to their level of frequency than it is for them to change their ways. So it mm-hmm. starts with the environment. We got to do an audit and we got to remove or limit the people in our lives that are sucking us down and draining us. And just to be clear, because someone might not understand this fully, if they're maybe they're hearing this for the first time, you never know. And they really might be. If you are, let's say you are genuinely stuck in a position. Let's say there's a 16 year old listening right now that for whatever reason, you know, they're in an environment with their family. This is not to discredit how much effort we should put into the thoughts, right? You can still, again, personal responsibility, do what you can. What Ben's trying to say, I believe, is that if you have the ability to switch the friend group, do that. If you have the ability to uh, get out of the place that you live, do that, assuming that it's it's negative uh, in your in, in that time period, right? Um, so we do whatever we can. That's the idea of personal responsibility. It is not to say everyone starts in the same playing field. Of course they don't. You and I being born in America, I, I recognize every single day how big of an advantage that is. And I know you do as well, because we always talk about the, the freedom side that's given here. And I mean, my gosh, you probably understand this way more intimately than me having parents that actually came from another country yeah. and then got to be here. I always say, I'm like, okay, I might not be a, an expert on international travel in other countries, but I'm going to guess there's a reason so many people try to come here, even still to this day, you know, there, there's got to be a reason. And um, one of those things is, or one of the things is you actually can take personal responsibility here. This is a place that you're actually able to do that and it be fruitful. There are certain places around the world, guys, like China, for example, you try to take personal responsibility there. That doesn't always work out so well, does it? <laughs> you know, there's, there's some powers at B that will control that or North Korea. Um, they come to America because personal responsibility actually can be fruitful here and stuff. So for those that are starting out, and I know we're talking about health today, but we have so many practitioners that listen, Ben, and I know that they're interested in the business side too. How can you have the right vision with the business side as you're starting this stuff? Because here's the thing, you talked about small tweaks lead to the to the peaks. I, I love this. You got to I, I feel like I have a lot of self-help quotes, but you have these so ingrained. You can tell that you've done the work. How do we 
keep the vision long-term because they are small tweaks. And just because you started reading some good book doesn't mean that overnight everything's fixed. In fact, it usually takes a while and then it seems like, bam, Mm -hmm. overnight success, even though it was really years and years and years of work. So for our entrepreneurial people out there, people starting the FDN businesses, like, uh, may I ask, like, how long did it take for you? You have this huge brand now, Keto Camp. How long did it take before you got that to a place where you're like, okay, this is my income. This is, this is good for me. And how did you maintain that vision up until that point? Mm, Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't until 2018 that I rebranded to Keto Camp. Before that, the company was called Shred Fat. And when I niched down, I grew much faster. So I would say like a year after that would be where things started to roll in, in terms of like now, you know, I'm getting members on my online programs and I'm getting my YouTube channel growing, et cetera. So I was really clear on the, the, I was focused on that niche, the keto niche. So I do recommend having a niche. It doesn't mean you're always in that niche. Like I love keto, but it's not the only thing I teach, right? And I teach it very different than other people. But it's a way to get people into your world. And then you could actually let them know, hey, keto is just one tool. There are many tools yeah. in the shed. We need to do this, 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 this. And then keto is a part of that as well. Um, but to your question and to your point, a lot of people have their goals and they are expecting like over to be overnight success. I don't, there's no such, really no such thing as an overnight success. There, it's really the hours and the discipline and the time behind closed doors where nobody's watching that's going to make you successful. Uh, and then you see, oh, that person's an overnight success. Meanwhile, they put in like 20,000 hours into their craft, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, I've been probably studying every day, three hours every day on average for the last 14 years. And I still feel like I'm getting started. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. But I, I'm so inspired and I and I am so consistent and I'm so frequent because I know what my goals are. I know what my objectives are. Like the overall goal with the Keto Camp is to educate and inspire 1 billion people. I, and I remember, Evan, when I came up with that goal and that goal like was something that was just that came to me and it was something that, that inspired me. I used to share that goal with people when I used to do lectures in like front of like five people and three people and people would laugh at me. I had people raise their hand and say, did you, do you mean a million? No, I would say a billion people is the goal. And they would say, that's impossible. Like they would ridicule me in front of me, in front of other people, like during my talks. And I remember like it's stinging, right? But I was so convicted in the mission and and what I have and what I could, who I could serve that those comments didn't last a long time. I was My conviction was stronger than that person's conviction because I knew that their comments were, were was saying more about their them than it was about me. They believe they can never achieve that. I know yeah, I can't. So I say all that because it's important to have a, a, a big goal, but you, you, you reverse engineer it. And Earl Nightingale said, and this is my favorite definition of success. He said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So that means an ideal is this goal that you haven't fallen in love with. That's your ideal. So for me, it's to educate a billion people. But it could feel overwhelming if like you're all the way here and your goal is over here. uh, But you just progressively close the gap between where you are and where that goal is and you're successful. As long as that gap is continuously closing, you're a successful person. And that, that goal could be being the best a mom for your children in the world, being the best podcaster, whatever that goal is, that's your personal goal. Nobody else has that vision. As long as you're closing the gap. And when life throws, you know, um, what Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. When life punches you in the face, you understand it's all part of the, it's all, it's on the way. It's just, you're just going to pivot 
You're not going to stop because you're so clear on the objective and you know that it's always up and down. It's up and down. It's not a straight line. And you're just going to keep pushing forward. At least that's what I do. So I'm not close to my goal, but that, that gap has closed tremendously in the last few years. Yeah, and I'll pull it. Uh, I'll put uh, the audio, the strangest secret, in the show notes. For people I'll actually make yes. a note to myself. Um, That's a great because, audio, huh? Yeah, and he he talks about his definition of success in there, and there's a lot more goodies in that. It'd be a good follow up listen to this podcast, especially just from a general personal development side. It's a very powerful thing. Yeah, and um, when you, we talk about a worthy ideal, worthy can be defined in many different ways. It could just be something that's good for other people. It could be something that motivates us, right? But the, the bottom line is. I think the thing about your goal that you have, the vision that you have right now and what has kept you on track then, even when people were laughing, is that's actually something you're passionate about. Like you really get this. This comes from a deep-rooted thing, not only a personal one, but well, not that your dad wouldn't be personal, but I mean like you've experienced it literally, but you've seen other people experience it that are very close to you. And so that pushes you. And I think that's one of the key things here is, again, just because you read the books and change the environment, things will happen faster than you think they can. I've learned that. But it's it's not overnight either. Like there's going to be changes that need to be made. It gets messy. It's kind of a, I've found it to be a journey of two steps forward, one step back. I still find that to be true to this day. Yeah. Now, two steps forward, one step back gets you a lot farther than you were eventually, but it can be, it's humbling every time that you take that one step back. You're like, dang, what am I doing? So the point is you got to figure out something that excites you enough and that you're in love with enough that you will push through those things. So whatever that goal is for you, it might be a certain amount of money. There's nothing wrong with that. It might be a certain amount of people served. It might be a, a very specific thing for your family that means nothing else to anyone else except you. And that's okay. But all of a sudden, this stuff starts compounding and it's beautiful. I set that goal, um, Ben, and I didn't hear the Earl Nightingale stuff at the time, but I was in the books. And so I I realized, all right, I might as well, it was Les Brown, actually. He talked about, you're gonna the time's gonna pass anyway. Mm -hmm. So you might as well at least try to do what you want. I'm like, oh, yeah, that made a lot of sense to me. I'm like, I'm 18 at the time. Yeah, the time is going to pass anyway. I want to become a public speaker. I don't know how the hell that's going to happen, but because I can't even speak to someone one-on-one -on -one without blushing right now, but the time is going to pass anyway, so I might as well try. And for the first five years of attempting that, I never got paid once to speak. A lot of that was working on myself. And then in the subsequent four years, 500 paid speaking gigs, mm. right? But for those first five years, you could say, oh, this is failing. This isn't working. This isn't going well. But then all of a sudden, bam, you cross that barrier, something snaps and it's just like, whoo. And to, again, to the outside world, it looks like it's an overnight thing. Um, and guess what? Five years, in my opinion, and I think you'd agree with this. It's not even that long in the grand scheme of things, man. For your worthy ideal to realize that in some way, even a fraction, no, five years is a small price to pay. If you want to do something big, you got to give up something, right? Oh, yeah. Five years is nothing. That's like a college degree, four or five years. <laughs> and that's yeah. going to get you backwards yeah. and a whole bunch of debt, probably. Dude, that's yeah. awesome. Did you say 500 speak, paid speaking gigs? Is that what you said? Yeah, but like 560 now. That's amazing. Yeah. Look at, and you're, yeah. it, you know, I don't know if your audience, anybody listening has seen Evan speak. Evan's an incredible speaker. You know, you would never know that you were blushing in front of a person. And I'm very similar. I was also awkward and couldn't speak in front of people too, but you're an incredible speaker, but it's a testament to you doing the work. The frequency creates the genius. Uh, you, you were committed to it. And five years to get to achieve that, that's a short amount of time, but it's a testament to your commitment and your frequency of, of actually putting in the work.
yeah, so find that worthy ideal and that thing that excites you because it still excites me now as it, as much as it did back then. You're clearly still excited about what you do. Um, and actually, it's the speaking uh, how we originally, in my uh, opinion at least, how we got connected. It wasn't even the podcast. Seeing you speak at the Biohacking Congress, I'm like, uh, okay, people aren't born with that. I think you had three hours of sleep that night or something because you were coming oh, in from yeah. another conference. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, this dude just threw down. Like he was the best speaker all weekend. I'm like, what was that? Thank you, and uh, you can't pull that out of nowhere. And that's not just an accident. That's someone that's actually worked on the stuff. And so you can really do some amazing things when you have this um, mindset. Now, tying this back into the health side, just so it's not exclusively about business and vision, it all ties in though. Where do you see the personal development side coming in for someone's health. Because the way I see it from a just general perspective is, you know, some people get health information, bam, they, they get better in like six months. They feel amazing. Others get the same health information, if not more, and they're still stuck in the same place. And this is not a condemnation of those people, but I feel like the, the mindset side's missing. So do you ever see that in some of the people coming through your programs and, and how can we work through that? Absolutely. I see it all the time. A hundred percent. I believe mindset is 95% of the puzzle and uh, strategy is only 5%. So it's a majority of the, of the results, not just, just with health, but with our results in life in general. Here's the thing. Here's the mindset that most people have. I'm generalizing, but this is what I see. I've had thousands of people come through my academy and we have conversations, right? Most people view their symptoms as something that is evil, something that they should hate, something that they should mask or whatever, have a surgery to deal with it. They were a condition. And look, I was too. We have been conditioned to believe that symptoms are evil and we should hate them. And the mindset is just completely off because symptoms are a beautiful gift from the innate intelligence. Thank God we have symptoms. Thank God there's a system in place that acts like a check engine light. This is your body communicating with you. Pay attention. And most people are just, just not aware of this communication. They're not listening to it. Their check engine light has been flashing for years. And once you develop the mindset, like this is actually a beautiful thing that my body is, is giving me clues to find, helping me find what's the, what's the cause to the symptom. Like that's a total paradigm shift. It's a total mindset to reframe to what they've been believing uh, about health and nutrition. That's one thing. Another thing is a lot of people come to me at least because they want to lose weight. They're obese. They have type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance. That's the majority of the people that come into my academy. And they're of the belief that in order for them to achieve that, they have to be in like a calorie deficit. They need to cut their calories. They got to move more. And they're looking to lose weight and lose weight and lose weight in order to get healthy. And I said that three times on purpose because that's the emphasis that lose weight, lose weight, lose weight in order to get healthy but the body doesn't work that way. Nobody has a weight problem. Again, it's a weight symptom. We don't lose weight, lose weight, lose weight to get healthy. We get healthy and then the side effect is you lose the weight, right? But it isn't until we change that mindset that they understand it and they stop looking at that scale every week to determine whether or not something is working for them or not. So those are just two examples right there. And we could peel back and peel back. There's so many more people identifying with their disease and et cetera. But that's the thing. Once you reprogram that, then you understand everything is, is, is designed to harness the innate intelligence and your body's built to heal itself. And a lot of people don't have that mindset. So we got to just uh, kind of wake them up essentially and reprogram their mind. Where would you recommend, whether it's the business side or the health side, I mean, it's kind of the personal development thing is very similar. And then it just kind of applies to all these different areas of your life. It applies to your relationship. It applies to your finances. Everything. It will go to everything. 
where would you recommend people start? I don't know if you have a book recommendation, audios or whatever it might be, or maybe it's just an action. Um, but I'm curious because now we might be teasing people. They're like, all right, well, all right, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to take some personal responsibility, even for things that aren't my fault. How do I do that? Yeah, we mentioned a lot of, of people. Uh, I, I love that you mentioned Les <laughs> Brown. I love Les Brown. He actually grew up in Miami, Florida, Liberty <laughs> City. Uh, I always remember Les. You got to be hungry, right? I love that guy. <laughs> I was hungry. Yeah, yeah, you were hungry. I listen to him all the time. I still <laughs> listen to him to this day. Um, you know, there's a lot of great people out there. Les Brown, Tony Robbins, et cetera. But let me give the audience, uh, I think, a good, a good resource to start, and then they could get you to other people. Dr. Wayne Dyer has a, an audible called the ultimate Dr. Wayne Dyer library collection. I would recommend you listen to that five times. And after the fifth time you've listened to it, like you're going to completely have a completely different mindset. Your life is going to be better in all different areas. I mean, Dr. Wayne Dyer has passed on now, but that is an accumulation of all of his best audios. And it's so good. I've listened to it 20 plus times. It's on audible. It's like 11 hours long. You're gonna. One of the things that I learned from Wayne Dyer when I was being the victim of of my circumstances is that he said Wayne Dyer said a couple things. Number one, he said, if other people are the cause of your problems, you would have to hire a psychiatrist for the rest of the world in order for you to get better. <laughs> Damn, that is true because that's not going to happen, right? And then he also said, um, what happens when you squeeze an orange? Well, it's obvious what comes out is orange juice. Why is that? Because that's what's inside. What happens when life squeezes you? Whatever's inside, your thoughts, your feelings, your Mm. actions. So when life squeezes you, it's your personal responsibility that determines what comes out because it's not going to just be a a great day every day. That's the truth. There's a lot of crazy things happening. There's ups and downs. But what comes out of you when life squeezes you, what's inside of you? And I learned that from Dr. Wayne Dyer. So I I would direct your audience to start with him. Wow. Yeah, I, you've definitely consumed more of him personally than I have, but I actually found him way later in the journey somehow. I'm not sure how, because he's, he seems to be up there with the, all the greats. Like he's like aligned with them, but yeah. you know, you, you get your favorites and then you get the people that you really love. Jim Rohn was always yeah. a huge one yeah. for me. I could listen to that guy for hours, but I love that thing about the the orange. I hadn't heard that one. And then w- with what's coming out of you, I think that's really, what I'm trying to say is you talked about how life is going to throw bad stuff at you. You know what I mean? There's going to be circumstance at least, or like the Mike Tyson quote, right? There's going to be the punch. And yeah, this is not to imply that your life or my life, if someone's assuming that is all sunshine and rainbows. But the difference is, I think since we're not like an orange in the sense that we actually can change, but we are like an orange in the sense of, yeah, if you squeeze it, what's going to come out is going to come out. And so 10 years ago, Ev, anger, just the worst anger you've ever seen. It was actually, it was just toxic, man. Toxic for me and toxic for everyone around me anger, blame, hate, and all this stuff. And now it's like, okay, I'm not saying I'm happy and thrilled if something terrible happens, but you almost get to a point with the personal development side where you can throw anything at myself, at Ben, or many of these other friends that I have. Like uh, Most of my friends actually live in Florida now. They're all pretty smart. They live in like the Fort Lauderdale area, actually. The ones that taught me about these books and all this stuff, they're all killing it. You could throw them anything, and it doesn't mean it was favorable, but they know how to switch this now. And okay, lost in the family. All right, I know how to use this and I know how to get better with this and help other people with it. And I think that's actually kind of one of the biggest points is you can, if nothing else, through your pain, use it to help other people. And there's a quote that says the last stage of healing is using what happened to you to help others. Mm -hmm. And so when all else fails, it's like, that's what I go to. Because when there's certain things you just can't make sense of, and thankfully I haven't experienced too many of those in my life, but we've all had a few of them. 
when nothing else can make sense of it, using it to help other people is about the only thing that will make it worthwhile. Um, and so that's what it is. That orange juice becomes a little less bitter. It's more of a sweet orange juice yeah. eventually. And, and it's not the anger and the hate. It's the, okay, how can I work with this? What can I, what is this teaching me? Um, and what can I do here? And you do not need to be a spiritual person to believe everything happened for a reason. I'd recommend looking into it, but you don't have to believe that. You can just act like everything happens for a reason and watch what happens when you switch your mindset. Oh, yeah, like that, so you know? 100%. I got to meet your friends in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> by the way. Um, oh, you, you, you love them. Yeah. You, you know, he, um, Wayne Dyer used to say as well that you don't die from a snake bite. Nobody's ever died from a snake bite. You die from the venom that pours through your veins after you've been bitten life when it bites you you don't suffer from the bite you suffer from dwelling on what happened to you right so we can make a decision to not let that poisonous venom go through our veins and it's a decision as tough as it is it is a decision ben i want to ask and then after this question we'll talk about where people can find you and all this other stuff because you you offer a lot of health stuff it's not he's not a mindset guru person but there's just we relate to this too much. It was worth doing this in the podcast yeah. today. I've enjoyed this. And I'm like, wow, 42 minutes. There you go. Flew by. <laughs> but um, wh what I want to ask is what thing or area of your life did something really cool happen as a result of your personal development that you weren't initially expecting? So it could be, it could be finances. It could be relationship. It could be whatever. I'm just curious because sometimes we said it connects to everything and we start out with the personal development for a specific reason normally. Maybe it is finances for some. Maybe it is the health for others. And then all of a sudden, all these other great things happen. So I'm curious if there's one that sticks out for you. So the question is, let me get it right, Evan. What mm -hmm. is something cool that's happened in your life from personal development? Is, or yeah, Unexpected. Because like, let's say you started this for the health side mostly. And then, woo, this other complete diff different area that you weren't expecting something amazing to happen. That's, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah, okay. Um, actually, something that I haven't shared before. And I can't give too many details because there's... I haven't announced it yet, but it's okay. Um, something that I'm creating that is outside of the keto and health space that I think is going to be incredible. And I never expected to do this. It's just something that I've been practicing and, and weighing on my heart. And I've been just putting together like my thoughts and organizing it. So I can't give too much details, but it's super cool because I never would have thought that this is something that I would do. And it's outside of the space of health, hundred percent. I mean, mostly because it is always tied to it. But and I, it's just a result of doing the work and having the experiences and being so a student of life. And that's super cool because I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really, really cool. And I'm sorry I can't give too many details because I haven't really even put it into fruition yet. But it is something I'm going to create soon that is is going to change a lot of lives. And I never would have thought I would have created this. That works for me, man. I'm just, it's exciting to hear your excitement. So I think that's fair enough because the bottom line, it wasn't even the example. It's just the point that this has huge rewards. It's the toughest in the beginning because that's the part where you only have the small tweaks. You don't have any of the peaks yet, as Ben said. Um, but once those peaks start occurring, the rest of the, this is simple, not easy, but simple for the rest of your life. You will never not go back to this because once you see that it works, you're like, why would I not do this everywhere? Oh, I'm fighting with my girlfriend a lot. Cool. I can solve this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, I have finance issues. I can solve that. You know, you just, it's empowering. That's the word. It is empowering beyond belief to know that you can have a lot of control over many things in your life. We don't have control over everything, uh, but we have control of a lot more than we think. And that was kind of the common theme in the podcast I was uh, doing about a week ago now. So Ben, 
where can people find you and what do you actually offer service wise? Cause you speak all over the place, but your whole brand is keto camp as of right now. That's the, yeah. the thing that we're focusing on at least. And what do you offer in there? Yeah. Yeah. Keto camp is my brand. It still will be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> uh, camp with the K by the way, two K's keto camp. We have a program called the keto camp Academy, which is an online program. We have members from all across the world. It's a monthly membership. I have health coaches on my team and we teach the system to keto, to fasting, what we teach called keto flexing, meaning we don't believe in long-term keto. We believe in metabolic flexibility. We spoke a lot about that on the first episode we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have health coaches to kind of guide you through the, the, the videos, et cetera. So it's called the Keto Camp Academy. And then my book, um, Keto Flex, uh, which is behind me, is the latest book, uh, which teaches my four-pillar system, uh, keto fasting, keto flexing. We talk a little bit about gut health and carnivore as well. And all of that's on my website. It's uh, benazadi.com. You can find that along with my social media and the, the Keto Camp podcast as well, which Evan has been a guest on and Reed has as well. Yeah, Keto Camp Podcast is popping. I mean, I'd love for you guys to stay here, but man, it's there's some really cool people that come on there. And you got some great episodes. So definitely please check that out, guys. I'll have all the links in the notes. Uh normally if someone comes on for a second time, I don't repeat the signature question, but I mean, man, if you're 200 episodes plus difference, I think it's only fair. So Ben, the signature question for you today will be this. If you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health. So that is you could get them to start doing one thing or you could say, hey, you're never doing that again. What is the one thing that Benazadi would get them to do? I love the question. And I, I, I knew what the answer was as soon as you like started asking the question. I would get the world to believe. I would get the world to believe in their incredible God-given body that was built to be self-healing. And we've all heard of the placebo effect. I talked about this at KetoCon. The placebo effect, and I'm going to keep this short because I know we're wrapping up. You're good. Yeah. The placebo effect originated in, in the 1930s, World War II. And it was a Dr. Henry Beecher who was working with soldiers in the, the war. And they would go into the medical tent with bullet wounds and arms blown off. It was an ugly scene. And he would give them morphine and they ran out of morphine. So what happened is the nurse freaked out. And she essentially put saline solution, salt water in the needles, gave it to Dr. Beecher Dr. Beecher had the belief that he was giving the soldiers morphine. He transferred that belief to the soldiers, letting them know, I'm giving you morphine. You're going to feel fine in a matter of seconds. We'll stabilize you, take you to the hospital, save your life. But it was salt water and they survived. And Harvard studied what happened there. And that's where the placebo effect started, right? Belief. We are seeing the opposite. Doctors are creating the nocebo effect with individuals. They're telling doctors are telling people they need a medication or a surgery, or even God forbid, your condition is terminal. They're doing the complete opposite. So what I would tell the world is the one message to the masses would be belief, because whatever you believe is going to manifest, good or bad, goes back to what I said in the beginning: faith versus fear. So I would encourage everybody to have that belief. And if you don't have the belief, because sometimes you don't, I get that. You could borrow the belief of Evan. You could borrow the belief of me. You could borrow the belief of somebody else until you develop that belief for yourself. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much for coming on again, man. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you, Evan. 